This is WMNF Tampa. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Good day and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with Michelle Metz-James about different clubs around the area, social media gardening sites, and all-around gardening involvement in the local community. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis is out sick today, so we wish her a speedy recovery. Greg is answering your calls, and Mr. Bill Grace is working the boards. And today we are talking with native Floridian Michelle Metz-James. Michelle has been gardening since she was in diapers. Hopefully she is out of them. And we have been longtime friends. I'm, I'm going to say eight years. Welcome to the show and in the studio once again, Michelle. Hey, that sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, you're in the intermediate stage between the diapers, right? Yeah, occasionally. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> so this... Uh, Past weekend, I went to Brooker Creek. Have you been there, Michelle? I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't, and it's definitely on my list of local places to go. I love to do nature hikes with my girlfriends. I've got a short list of people that we do regular regular little uh, jaunts about. So I went to Brooker Creek Preserve because my partner, Ryan, he took us to the wrong place. <laughs> I wanted to go to Brooker Creek Headwaters. So after we went to Brooker Creek Preserve, we went to the Headwaters, uh, which is in Lutz, but the first place we went to is in Pinellas, and it's beautiful, and uh, we toured, we saw some wild uh, orchids. Nice. And then uh, we Any, saw- Any, uh, your carnivorous plants? We didn't see carnivorous plants at the first location, but the reason why we went to the second location is because of the carnivorous plants, and I know that they're there, so that's, why, that's where I wanted to go, and then halfway on our trip there- I said, I think we're going the wrong way, but... <laughs> Coincidentally, I saw some yesterday, too. Oh, where were, uh, um, and you were in the North Carolina? I did. My daughter and I went with my old business partner, who now lives in the Raleigh-Durham area, and we went to the Duke Botanical Garden, and they had a little area with some implanters, but Duke Botanical currently is actually building a native area to incorporate a bog garden area with carnivorous plants. I didn't know if you knew that. Um, I did not know that, but of course, Carolina, the Carolinas are famous, are most famous for the Venus fly trap. Yes. And uh, here in Tampa, we have a pitcher plant. But what I found really interesting was we were at Brooker Creek Preserve. They have almost 9,000 acres and we saw some adorable gopher tortoises. Nice. And I don't know if you remember, but in elementary school, Everybody learned about food chains where the snail gets eaten by the frog and the frog gets eaten by a bird and the bird gets eaten by a fox. Yep. So that's literally like elementary thinking, very like simplistic thinking. And then in middle school, we learn about food uh, webs, right, where yep. you have different connections. And we kind of make this joke often, but some species are indeed more important than others. So if you just have like one line between the frog and the snake you know, that's okay. But ecologically speaking, if that snake is connected to a lot of different things, 
and we only have a limited budget to save one animal, we might want to save one that's connected to multiple things. And an example of that is the gopher tortoise. It's a keystone species, and that's defined as a species that has been disproportionately um, large effect on its natural environment relative to its abundance. So the gopher tortoise, when they dig their burrows, they literally provide homes for 300 species of invertebrates and vertebrates. So they provide homes for millipedes, centipedes, worms, little crickets, lizards, big snakes, other tortoises, rabbits, things like that. So if we only have limited amount of money, we should probably save the gopher tortoise because they're 100% and know, they're endangered. My good friend Chase is actually very close to a local doctor who studies them um, all over the state of Florida. And um, actually beyond that, though, she even did, a, uh, I think it was a two-month uh, study in Australia on some other species with him. And I'm a horrible person for not remembering his name. <laughs> but I know he's very important to the gopher, gopher tortoise species yes. uh, here in Florida. So that brings me... And I don't know if this is related, but I think it is. We were walking around Brooker Creek Preserve, and on different tree species, they had signs that said how valuable, money-wise, each tree was. So the cool. University of Florida, IFAS Extension, but I looked it up, and it's around all over the country. They have been measuring how trees impact or prevent soil erosion, reduce energy costs, improve air quality, increase property value, and reduce carbon dioxide. So, Michelle and Bill, if you want to play along, we're going to play. <laughs> we're going to play a little game. I was not expecting this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna name three trees, and I want you to guess which tree adds the most value, the total ecological value over the life of a tree. Okay. Your choices are Got a this. southern magnolia. And we're talking about a southern magnolia whose diameter at breast height is 30 inches around. So first one was southern magnolia. Second one is a pignut hickory whose diameter at breast height is also 30 inches around. Or a pond cypress whose breast height is 20 inches around. So out of those three, which do you think provides like the most uh, return on investment for the environment, for your neighborhood, for your house. I'm going with Cypress. Cypress. Bill is shaking his head. He's in agreement. All right. So the Southern Magnolia, it is estimated that over the life of the tree, the value, the ecological value is $6,000. It prevents soil erosion, which is valued at $38 a year. It prevents, it reduces energy costs like by providing shade, $15 a year, reduces carbon dioxide, $1.90 a year. That's the Southern Magnolia. The pignut hickory, it's valued at $24,000 for its life. So a lot more. Where the heck have you last seen a hickory tree around? Well, I saw, I saw it yesterday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they um, are reducing carbon dioxide. It's valued at $5 a year. Improves air quality by about $10. Reduces energy costs by about $20. And then... Bill and Michelle, you guys are right. The Pond Cypress, valued at $50,314 a year. It reduces carbon dioxide only by $3, but because of the lifespan of the Pond Cypress, um, that's where you get all your big bang for your buck. Yeah, we're mulching them. 
and we are mulching them, which is sad, yes. But I, I've never seen people say, oh, trees are good for the squirrels, <laughs> right? Or, or, or trees are good for your shade. But I've never seen anybody put like a money value to a tree. That's kind of cool. We need to make pamphlets like that and pass them around South Tampa. <laughs> well, funny you mention it. The pamphlets are free through University of oh, Florida. Interesting. I'm curious though, because like, I can see hickory out in the forest, but when was the last time you saw hickory like in a local neighborhood? Yeah. Gonna, I, I, think I think you're going to have to go to a... I mean, we had a pe- pecan tree in our South Tampa neighborhood where I grew up, but that died years ago. I think you're going to have to go to a tr- tree nursery, not a not a flower nursery to yeah. add one of those to your properties. All right. So today we are talking about what's going on in Central Florida with gardening clubs. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663, or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. And if you've been a member of any really good gardening clubs in Central Florida, we want to hear about it. And uh, Michelle, we we believe that you are a member, you have your fingers in a lot of different clubs. All the clubs. <laughs> um, a cool project I'm actually working on at the moment, uh, not this weekend, but the weekend before with my Davis Islands Garden Club. I've been a member now 17 years. And uh, during COVID, there was an equal that they were, the um, Audubon Society was following around Davis Island. It was sick and they were tracking it down. It finally landed in the tree um, at Dr. Pizzo's house across the street from us. And they had set up a automatic net that was controlled by remote control under it. And it just sat there for a couple of days. And they kept putting dead fish trying to get the eagle swooped down so they could hit the remote to capture it, to get it to the um, rehab facility. And it wasn't coming down. So finally, Dr. Pizzo went out back, caught a live fish, chucked it in the net, Eagle came out of the tree to get the live fish. Well, sadly, the eagle died within about 24 hours. Um, Necropsy showed that it died from eating rodents that died from or had in their system rat poison. And after that, I thought, well, there's there's got to be a way to you know help this crappy situation. And I thought at that time that you know maybe we could encourage more owls to help catch rats to decrease the rat population and to you know, so people wouldn't need rat traps that are filled with poison. And so I've been thinking about this for a couple of years. And then I finally had one of my garden club ladies, Pat, said, you know, my grandson's working, needing an Eagle Scout project. I said, ooh, I finally have older kids to help me build these owl houses. And so last weekend, uh, me and Sean, the Eagle Scouts, and uh, a bunch of kids from his troop and some younger ones in the same troop uh, in our back, my backyard built 15 cedar owl houses and they're still in my garage but um the next step is waiting on the cities working with us as well and they're going to go up in multiple parks uh, a few on davis island a couple in ballast point park and there is a new city park that's being built called mcdill 48 it's uh 48 acres that's been sitting undeveloped south of gandy and it's also going to be a catchment basement to help absorb all the um, floodwaters Every time we get a rain south of Gandy, it just floods horrifically. And they've dug out beautiful, gorgeous, natural-looking lakes that are man-made, but with islands. It's going to have walking trails, and it's going to help absorb the water when it floods. And it's going to be a natural, beautiful park for the city to use and canoe and kayak on. And eventually, that park is going to also be connected to 
Inner Bay Ball Field, which is Gadsden Park, and eventually at some point down to Pitnick Island. And so we're going to have these owl boxes along with uh, pamphlets to educate the population on why these black boxes filled with poison is a really stupid, 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 mm-hmm. terrible idea. So this past Saturday, I was in Dunedin, and I did a presentation there, and then people were coming up to me afterwards, and they were talking about the exact same thing, and we had them on many really? year, maybe a year or two ago, uh, and it was in the newspaper about how they had a pair of owls, and they loved watching them year after year, and then them and their babies died because people were poisoning the rats, and then you have the food, food chain, food web, exactly. Exactly. Just from the top of the show. So um, so that what you just were saying was kind of like the circuitous route of your garden club thought of an idea, you thought of an idea to save the owls, and then your garden club was able to kind of put it through fruition, right? Yeah, to help get the word out there, but also provide a home for the owls and helped. I mean, it's an island. Wherever you have water, you know, it's like the worst, best-kept secret of a fancy zip code is there's rats. Yeah. <laughs> the things you don't hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is, you know, there's mm-hmm. rats, lots of rats. So <laughs> when I when I first moved to Florida, maybe 11 or 12 years ago, I was eager to join a bunch of gardening clubs. And I quickly learned that I was 45 years younger than the oh next God, yes. youngest person. <laughs> so, Michelle, other than saving the owls, how else can we... Why, why would somebody want to join a gardening club? And, well, and, and what does the demographics look like these days? It's slowly changing a little bit. I mean, I joined when I was 27. I'm 44 now. I'm still definitely one of the younger ones. But it definitely, it's a very, you know, like, and it depends on the club. I've got some clubs, you know, like Davis Island, it is a lot of retired, t- retired ladies. We do have some younger ones. Um, and that club, we don't have a lot of guys, but we would love to have some guys uh, but the problem is it's a weekday club that meets in the morning. So we, we don't get a lot of the younger ones because, pe- you know, a lot of people have nine to five jobs. Um, and some of my other clubs, they do meet, meet on the weekends where it's a more of a mixed bag. But everybody's welcome, any age, guy, gal, it doesn't matter. Um, but we Are- do a lot for the good, for, you know, the earth and, you know, to help Mother Nature. Are you saying that it's available for any uh, sex because historically there used to be like ladies garden clubs? (laughs) The little old lady with gloves and pearls and we do tea. (laughs) But it's not that by any means. Um, We have great speakers every month. Like our Davis Island Club meets Wednesday mornings at 9.45 a.m. We always have an amazing speaker. Um, I just literally had a brain fart on who we had last month and I remember it was amazing. Um, but we've had a variety of people, you know, come in and educate and, you know, promote different things. It's always, you know, a great variety. We do field trips. We go to Bach Towers. Um, last week when I was out of town, they went to the St. Pete Orchid Farm. Um, it was just a local guy that has a nursery at his house. Him and his partner are the most amazing guys. And I've only been there before because I was there with my orchid club. Um, but him and his uh, partner have <laughs> the most amazing two properties with orchids and some begonias and a variety of tropicals and the most great host that you've ever ha- could have. I think a year ago I dropped into the orchid club's Christmas party from, because I was invited and then I saw you. <laughs> I, get it, I get around. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was at the orchid club and it was a gal who had just moved to Tampa and I mentioned my Davis Island club and then she showed up there and I was like, 
I know you, but this doesn't seem right. She's like, we were at Orchid Club last week. <laughs> and so like a lot of people start crossing over and like, mm-hmm. I know you from the Begonia Club. I'm like, yeah, I have a plant problem. Yeah. All the plant problems. All right, so let's talk about your plant problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if Bill and I can give you uh, psychological advice, but... <laughs> my what, husband would appreciate where, it. Where did it, where did it start? <laughs> um, my grandpa. My grandpa um, at backyard was literally like a farmer's market. Me and my brother would just pig out for hours. He would stuff himself silly, but he had kumquats, persimmons, grapefruits, oranges when you could still grow citrus. The chain link fence was lined with green beans um, all the vegetables, rutabagas, turnips, I mean, strawberries. He actually grew really good strawberries, which I don't, I mean, we both have mutual friends that sell strawberries. I have tried. Mm-hmm. I suck at it. I have a lot of friends that equally suck at trying to grow strawberries. It is difficult. Yes. I, I give up. Heavy feeders and yeah, seasonally difficult. I'm also a lazy gardener. So if it's not like an easy thing, I, I'm not going to bother. Um, it roses, I mean, my grandpa literally grew everything under the sun. It was like having a literal, literal farmer's market. And so from that, I think my mom was inspired. So she grew a few things, nowhere near like my grandpa, but he was a phenomenal gardener. He was a barber by trade, um, but that was definitely his outlet. And I think that just came from growing up in the Carolinas. And um, he even, and I think it was 77, won the overall uh, blue ribbon at the Florida State Fair for his ginormous jade plant it took a pickup truck to get it there it was six feet across and it was ginormous and when they moved back to north carolina it was given to my dad who promptly killed it (laughs) so let's talk about some easy plants that we can grow and we don't have to worry about killing them you're wearing very large monstera leaf earrings which is a nice philodendron so what what are you enjoying growing now, like this uh, in, in November? You have, you're in the clubs of orchids and roses and vegetables and rare fruit. And I'm not in the rose club. Okay. I grow a ton of roses, <laughs> but I, I don't want to say this out loud. I found that club a little boring. I love you rose people. I just, it wasn't, I don't know. I could only do so many, so I cut that one out. But I do grow a ton of roses. Um, and how, let's talk about that. How do you grow them? In beds, in the ground? Yeah, beds on the, the right of way in front of my house. Um, they can be a little high maintenance. I find it not so hard. But I grew up with um, going to Mr. Hardin's Rose, uh, Rose Nursery. Mrs. Hardin was my math teacher at Robinson High when I was a kid. So I've known the Hardins since I could barely walk. And my grandpa, used, his barbershop was almost like catty corner to the Hardin's Rose Nursery. So they'd occasionally go to Bucks games when I was a kid. So Hardin family goes near and dear to my heart. They're amazing people. And then, so in addition to the roses, what else do you have in your property? I do have an orchid issue, um, which is why I'm in the orchid club. And they're just the nicest people. Like plant clubs can be a little weird sometimes, but the orchid club is just low maintenance. They're fun. They also maintain, the Tampa Orchid Club maintains the orchid collection at the USF Botanical Garden. They volunteer there every Thursday. There's a huge, massive greenhouse with literally probably a thousand plus orchids in it. And every Thursday, meticulously, they water every last one of them. They fertilize every last one of them. It is an undertaking. So they do a lot of good for that garden and they have great programs. Potluck lunch, it's the last, hold on, last Tuesday. Oh, shoot, I'm a horrible person. (laughs) Okay, Tampa Orchid Club, it's on their Facebook page. Very good. It's a Tuesday. (laughs) I think it's the last Tuesday of the month. 
I just look at my calendar. Yep. <laughs> keep it straight. And what, um, what are some tips on growing orchids in central Florida? Bright, indirect light. Um, they do like to be fertilized. I am a lazy person when it comes to a lot of things. So I try to fertilize them regularly, ideally once a week. Um, the packages always tell you to give them way too much. So like half strength of whatever the package says or even a quarter. And the fertilizer is granular or you put it in water? So if you join the Orchid Club, we have special mixes that we like that some of our people have made over the years. Um, but anything from the store will do. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, food of any kind is good. Even it's, like warm tea. Mm-hmm. You're foliar spraying the leaves or mm-hmm. the soil or the roots or the... Everything. And always water them first, mm-hmm. fully drench the plants, and then come back and do a round of fertilizer. Do you have uh, some special orchids? The only orchids I know are the Phalaenopsis, which are like called sometimes the like the moth orchids. orchids. Yeah, I've got a little bit of everything. Dendrobiums, Phalaenopsis, um, Cattleyas. The only ones I tend to avoid are the really finicky ones that pa- papilipet, I can't say it, papilipetums. They look, slipper orchids is the common name for it. <laughs> yeah, Latin and me don't do well together. And whenever I'm at a plant sale, I always remind the customers that expensive plants are expensive because they're difficult to grow. Not always. I mean, some of the- Or really, source, I guess. Or rare. Mm-hmm. Like I've got a couple of orchids that are low maintenance, but it was like a $50 plant because the guy had died and it was, you know, one of those, it was just hard to find. And I've kept it alive for like 10 years. So I'm proud of myself for that. Haven't killed it yet. Okay. So you, you got the orchids and then what other, uh, you're in the rare fruit oh. council? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in that one too. <laughs> and, and what uh, fruits are you growing now? Um, well, so that's the funny thing. Like I, I'm tomatoes. not obsessed with all the, <laughs> well that, yeah, that actually that, it's not really rare. Well, I do love my heirloom tomatoes, but I'm not into all the quirky, weird, rare fruits. Like, I'll try them all. I only joined that really one for my daughter. She thought it was neat, and then she abandoned me, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. But I really love mangoes, and they have, like, an annual mango tasting. I think it's usually June or July, but we've had to push it because of the—it was so the hot season. these last two. Yeah. yeah, the mango growers just weren't producing, and so we've had to adjust because of, you know, the environmental changes that we've had to deal with. So that's been kind of rough, but um, that is a fun one. I'm on the board of that one, and it's a great club. Uh, I missed the meeting this weekend. It's always the last Sunday of the month, um, up way up on Northdale Mabry um, at a church, beautiful place, and it was on edible palms. Who knew palms were edible? Um, my lovely friend, Paul Samoda, who's like one of the smartest men on the planet, who I adore. I'm sure he's enjoying that right now, um, but he... <laughs> Um, had me experience pindo palm fruit for the first time. And when you see the palm trees, like with the berries hanging, they're not all edible. And I'm so bummed I missed that stupid meeting. But what the pindo palm fruit is edible. It is the most tastiest darn thing on the planet. And now I'm hooked. So I always get so excited when he, he brings me some because it is really, really tasty. So some palm trees, you can eat those things that hang up there, which is the, the their fruit with their seeds in the middle. And what are you, are you growing the tomatoes now, the heirloom tomatoes? Oh yeah, I have tomato issues. Um, So yeah, I do have a huge hydroponic uh, tomato setup because I'm Italian and I love my tomatoes. Um, It's Dutch bucket hydroponic gardening. So if you Google Dutch buckets, it's very simple um, hydro. Basically you take five gallon buckets, it's connected to like a pump and it recirculates the water with like a dripper over top. Um, My dad first introduced me to it. He 
discovered it on YouTube. And then he made a simple setup. And then he kind of helped me get it going. And then my friend, Paul Cecilia, um, Italian Mato Mafia friend, um, <laughs> he came over and helped me put it together. And then it was a very simple, basic system. And then we actually, several years ago, had a freak tornado on Davis Island one night. And it picked up my whole system and launched it across the driveway. So, and that was right before COVID. And so during COVID, I was like, well, I'm going to make this thing indestructible. And so I made a huge uh, pressure tree wooden frame with my saw and all my tools. And so now it's very pretty because I like pretty. And it's, and then, then I doubled it because more tomatoes is better. And so I do a lot of um, heirlooms, um, not Cherokee purple. I find that one boring, um, but a lot of the big mushroomy ones, um, Genovese, Sicilian, that one's great. I love David Whitwam's Sun Gold Tomato. That's one of my favorites. Um, the red pear tomato is phenomenal. Uh, what else? There is uh, one that's actually called Mushroom Basket that's phenomenal. And then I occasionally will go and get some just random ones online or I'll go to um, Grace's Hydroponics. It's a great store. All right, very good. You are listening to The Sustainable Living Show coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Today we're talking with Michelle Metz, James, about gardening in Central Florida. If you have questions for her, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And right now we're going to be talking about vegetables, but we can also talk about houseplants, roses, begonias, lots of different things. So, Michelle, when will the next time it's going to rain in Central Florida be. Oh my God. So I was gone for the weekend. Please tell me it rained. It did not at my house. I checked the newspaper, the print newspaper yesterday, like eight o'clock at night. And it said it was going to be 20% chance of rain. And it definitely did not rain, but hopefully it will rain uh, this week. I mean, how long has it been? I I tried to Google that, but I I would imagine more than 30 days, right? It's It's been been painful. Yeah. Driving in from the airport this morning, it looked like it was maybe going to rain. But I'm kind of tired of exhausting the uh, water hose. To be yeah. Honest. So you've been doing the hydroponic tomatoes for a while. Can you explain how the tomatoes are growing? I understand you have a bucket, but yeah. they're just like floating in a bucket of water. In air? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. So the so originally I had them in perlite, um, but the perlite clogs the bottom a lot with the because uh, it's PVC in the bottom, and but so I changed out to the um, the clay marbles. There's a word for that. Do you know the word? Um, Akadama or something? Um, yeah. No. They're clay marbles. There is a term. I'm not thinking of it. But yeah, those little clay marbles, it, it was definitely like a pricier thing, but they don't break down. They last for, you know, close to forever. And it'll be, you know, yeah, on, I see it on your thing. That right there to the right. Mm-hmm. Called clay pebbles. <laughs> oh, hey, clay pebbles. Or Leica. Leica. Yeah. L-E-I-C-A. Yeah. Those. So it wasn't like the cheapest, but they will last forever. And I don't have to worry about the it clogging because like the roots would start breaking down the perlite and it would like turn into almost sand and it was becoming a nightmare. And I was tired of having to like, it literally would be mid tomato season. And I was having to like dump out the bucket with the root system and have to like gently figure out how to unclog it and then get the roots back. And it was just a how, how big are the roots in a five gallon bucket? Oh, it fills the whole darn thing with one plant, one plant, mm-hmm. one plant per bucket. And easily the tomatoes will get six feet tall, six feet wide. I mean, I have a huge trellis with um, a cattle panel on top 
And then as it grows, I will, there's these tomato clips that you can buy on Amazon and use the tomato clips with a string that does not die in the sun and just start clipping them and routing the things different and spreading them out. And then the water goes up and down or? So it dribbles on top of the root system, goes to the bottom, and then there's like a little channel back down to the, it's a 50-gallon reservoir that I have it uh, dug out and submerged in the ground so the water stays cool. And the, uh, what about nutrients? Um, So it's funny, I'm very much an organic gardener. Um, This is the only exception because there's not, like with hydroponics, there's not a good organic solution for hydro growing. Um, So it it is a, um, from Southern Ag has a specific formula for hydroponic hydroponic vegetables. So it's their uh, Southern Ag solution or like granular fertilizer along with um, magnesium and then Epsom salts. And so mix it up, pour it in the thing. And so it just hits the roots and then it trickles down and it's like 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Very cool. And then how how many, what's your yield of your tomatoes? It depends, well, I change it up so often, but with like the sun golds, it's, once they start going, it's just, I have so many, I have to, I share with the neighborhood and friends. And I mean, it'll, I mean, there'll be days where I'm pulling out like a bucket a day. Nice. Yeah. So, um, and are you growing any tomatoes in the dirt, in the ground? No. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> you have to spray. With these, like, I almost never have to spray. And if I, if, if I ever do, it's organic stuff that I get from David Whitlam. All right. Very good. So, like, uh, at the top of the show we were talking about, I went to Burker Creek, and I was so surprised by how many free activities they had listed. So... Uh, like Annie always says, you can go to their Eventbrite or just type in like gardening. I missed it last weekend. They had a night hike at the preserve, which I thought would be really cool. This Wednesday from 2 to 3, Brooker Creek is doing a Zoom webinar on Pinellas' predatory plants. I am not presenting it, but I will be attending <laughs> to learn as much as I can. And then uh, this Friday, ha- they have a botany walk. This Saturday, they have a bugs and butterflies for beginners. And then um, on the same day, they also have a Hidden Wonders Nature Walk. And you should sign up for those because we want to support our cultural institutions. And on the line, we have Georgia Snyder, all the way from the Sustainable Living Project. Hi, Georgia. Hey, guys. How are you? We are great. And uh, can you tell us what the Sustainable Living Project is? Yeah, so we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We're a working urban farm and education center, and we strive to, you know, help people learn about the food system and sustainability and how those sort of interact with our everyday life. And then uh, last week, Annie and I teased some of your events that are coming up. Can you tell us what's going on this week or next week? Oh, super cool. Yes, so we did... Last week, we did a houseplant sale to help support our greenhouse, which was damaged during Hurricane Ian. And then um, this week, we're doing a Friendsgiving. It's going to be Sunday at 6 p.m. And no need to sign up, but bring something to share and maybe write a little bit down on a card about what you've brought and come on out and join us. Very good. And where is the Sustainable Living Project located? So we're right in the middle of Tampa. We're across from Larry Park Zoo. So the, the address is 918 West Sly Avenue, but 
if you see the main entrance to the zoo, we're across the street, set back just a little bit from the road. Very good. And you have like a couple of acres, you have vegetables, fruit trees, do you have animals? Yeah, so we're we're just under an acre and we have 34 grow beds, um, so usually about four by six for growing beds. And then we've got vegetables in those, um, some fruit trees over to the side and a mostly native pollinator garden. We have chickens and then once we get our greenhouse up and running, we should have um, aquaponics with tilapia again. Very cool. Well, thank you, Georgia, for calling, and we hope people take you up on your offer. Yeah, I hope to see you guys there, and thanks for letting me call. Thank you, Georgia. Bye. Bye. Uh, Michelle, have you ever been to the Sustainable Living I Project? Sure have. Yep. Yeah, it's very Absolutely. nice. And was David involved in the beginning? Yes, he was. Ma- many years yeah. ago, like 10 years ago. All right, Michelle, we have Al calling from all the way in Odessa, and he has a question. He has a gardening question. Hello, Al. Hello. Uh, yeah, I have two questions. <clears throat> First off, um, I have a fig that uh, I've had for six years, and <laughs> it just doesn't want a fruit. It's constantly dropping leaves. I have a pretty, they like to be snug, so I got a container after it's been in the ground for a while. And uh, I fertilize and water, and yeah, I can't make it produce. Figs are a pain in the butt. Um, and they do yeah, drop their leaves is, annually. I come, from, I come from Connecticut, and up there, my, they grew like wheat. Yep, that's normal. They are. Where? They hate Florida, <laughs> and they always get rust, yeah. and they always You're drop right. their leaves. This is the second one I've, I've done. One came from Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I killed several, and I just decided to give up on them. To be no, very honest, it's with good you. to hear that from a person who does gardening. <laughs> uh, There's a lady with yeah. a giant one in my neighborhood. I don't know how she's doing it. To be very honest, all with right. You. There's one, one other one. That Wait a minute, Al. The other yes. thing is that the University of Florida says that a lot of edible figs are deciduous, but they require 100 hours of chilling temperatures to grow and set fruit. So you yeah, losing the leaves, that's okay, line. but yeah. we just might not be cold enough for long enough. For you to get fruit. So you might have a really nice looking tree or a plant in a pot, but it's going to be hard to... And last year was really warm. Do you know what type of variety it is? No, I have no idea. It's been a while. But that's fine. I'll just give up on figs. <laughs> the other item is a, vand, a couple of Vanda orchids I have. Uh-huh. They go almost like a strawberry. Yes. Um, they, they do all right. I've had it for at least, I don't know, 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, constantly, you know, divide and give out to other people. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Just, just how to keep it healthy. I know you got to keep the roots damp or moistened every day. Yeah, spray them down uh, really, really good till the all the white yeah. roots turn a little green. Um, right. And they need yeah. a little bit more light than your typical orchid. Mm-hmm, right, I got them out in the light. And that's basically it. Yes, any fertilizer, half strength? Yeah, yeah, about half, half strength. Um and just hose them down really good. And they're pretty low maintenance. They're about one of the easier ones. And yeah, they're, they're cute plants. And just right, bring yeah. them inside if it goes below 50. No, no, they got to tough it out. <laughs> <laughs> I like your style. It's kind of the way I am. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you Al, for giving us a call. Now, Michelle, the fertilizing for orchids, is that really for growth or is that really to make them flower? flower. It's both. Yeah, it really is. Yep. All right. Very good. All right, so um, we talked about tomatoes. We talked about vegetables. What about the Rare Fruit Council? You're, you're a member. You like to eat the mangoes, but yeah, 
Do you have any papayas on your property? I hate papayas. I think they taste like feet. You know, <laughs> I do have a tangerine. Um, I've got loquats. Uh, what else? I've oh, I've got a star fruit. Um, carry. It's delicious. It's right now fruiting for the first time. So we've been enjoying that. Um, and a lime. I've got a uh, Persian lime, which is fantastic for uh, for drinks. And how is your citrus growing these days? Are they you know, in- impacted by I've got it. citrus screening? They're both under oak trees, so it's seemingly doing okay. My The tangerine is only a few years old. I get like one a year. <laughs> well, well worth the investment. <laughs> yeah, but it's a satsuma. It's like what I grew up uh-huh. with. <laughs> I had a finger lime. One oh, of, I've got that too. One of those cool uh, Austra- yeah. Austra-Asian uh, citrus that are long and they're kind of like caviar. And uh, a lot of people in Florida, like professionals, are trying to grow them to kind of be our next uh, it's citrus the thing. one thing that's not affected by greening. So highly encourage the finger limes. Well, I had one. I had it in like a three-gallon pot. For a couple of years, I sold it, and then uh, as soon as I sold it, it started producing masses, of mass, mass amounts of fruit yeah. for the person who That's bought the it. the way it works out. Yep. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about the benefits that you gain from each of the clubs? Now, we don't want to age shame, but you're, you're mentioning that the age <laughs> range is getting broader. It's more inviting. It's more welcoming for guys, girls, different ages, but... What's like the camaraderie? Camaraderie? Com- yeah, I can't. <laughs> Come on, Michelle. Camaraderie. Yeah, that word's Camaraderie. Awful. <laughs> um, yeah, well, with the week, it's really with the clubs that meet on the weekends and weeknights where you get a more broader variety of people. Um, it, it's just really timing. You know, not everybody can come to these weekday clubs. Um, just kind of is what it is, but we have a lot of fun. Um, we actually are starting a new club, which is like, I don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) Like if I wasn't already busy enough, I've decided to start something new. Um, One day recently, my friend Ariel and I went down to USF Botanical to, because we keep amassing that every year when you re-sign your uh, membership, you get a free plant thing. And we now both have like three and we've never used them. So we're like, we're going to go get that free plant. And uh, we ran into Craig Hugel and we were talking to him that we noticed the begonia section of the gardens, quite frankly, has suffered over the last few years. And, you know, he said, yeah, you're right. And, you know, because he's been doing a lot with the natives there because that's what he's really passionate about. He's done a lot over the years with Booker Creek. And now the USF garden has been looking leaps and bounds better since he's worked there. I mean, it's amazing. But we're like, you know, these begonias could look so much better. And he's like, yeah, they could. And I said, well, you know, just curious, like, would you let us work on them some? And uh, he looked at me, he goes, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> and I said, ooh. Are uh, the begonias next to their office? Yeah, it's like right up front. So it's really, you know, noticeable that they looked like crap, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at Ariel, I go, he just said, we could do whatever we want. And I looked at him, I go, you have no idea what you just unleashed. So, <laughs> so um, no joke, before we even left, we, because you know we're gardeners. We keep clippers in our car, mm-hmm. and pruners, <laughs> buckets, and boxes. Before we left, we had pruned all their begonias. We took cuttings to go start propagating, and so we were sitting there brainstorming, like, "Well, what can we do with this?" And so, within a matter of about a week or so, we're like, "Let's actually do something with this." 
So we started pruning all the begonias. We started, and the other problem, problem was is that area isn't irrigated. So they were dry. They were neglected. They were half dead. Half, almost, I'd say 98% of all the plant tags were missing or at the wrong plants. And so then I started messaging some of the other guys in our begonia club and said, let's actually like make this a project. Like let's do something good with this. And so we started messaging some of the people that stopped coming to the begonia club, but really did love begonias and said, look, would you be interested in actually maybe doing like a service club at USF and actively start working on the begonia garden? Because in the middle of the USF botanical area used to be huge areas with nothing but begonias and they were just gone. And I think what happened was during COVID, I think a lot of stuff just died. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to actually turn this into like a new actual club. Um, We're calling it the Mid Florida Begonia and Exotic Plant Club. And we're having our first meeting soon on November 18th at 10 a.m. And we're going to slowly sell plants to raise funds to make this an actual nonprofit um, 5013C. And we're going to actually turn this into a real thing. And just in the last two months, the, we've got the buds mulched. They've been cut back. They've been fertilized. They look, um, what is there looks amazing again. We've added in a bunch of new plants. Um, I went ahead and bought and donated uh, plant labels, and I've got them all tagged again. So with the exception of two plants, we know all their names again, and everything looks amazing. We got the guys there to dump four loads of mulch. And everything is mulched and beautiful. And we are very excited about having a, a service club, just about begonias and the tropicals there and trying to restore the begonia garden because it used to be really amazing. The, um, there was a guy there that was the manager of the plant shop. Um, his name was Bob Kohler years ago. I didn't know him, but a lot of the, um, the uh, senior members of our other plant uh, begonia club knew Bob really well. And he was just a plant guy and ended up becoming a very well-known begonia hybridizer. And he has tons of begonias that he created. He unfortunately died a few years back. Um, But all of his begonias that used to be there are just gone. And so now we're trying to track down the ones that he hybridized to try to restore them at the gardens there and bring back his collection and try to put back what was there because it's, you know, it's a shame that they just, I was just looking at photos online of what was there in 2020 and like, mm-hmm. it's just gone. So your new club is going to start meeting this uh, Saturday. Yep. And where are you meeting? At the USF Botanical Gardens. At 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. We will have coffee and we will have some well, snacks. That's incentive enough. And we will have <laughs> plants for sale. All right. Very I'm good. bringing a ton of begonias to sell. So Michelle, we got a couple of uh, callers. The first one we'll take is John in Sarasota. And I think John wants to talk about wild orchids. Hello, John. How are you today? We're doing great. Um, yeah, I, I've got quite a few of them out of the woods through the years, and they grow out there without any nutrients or anything or whatever they get. What's the best way to fertilize them when you get them back, you know, to your house? Uh, well, if you're getting them from a public park, that's illegal. Just want to put that's that out not, there. It's okay. not a public park. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Woods. Um, I, I know that. <laughs> well, I mean, you can still use regular fertilizer. I mean, obviously, if they're in the wild, they're surviving on Mother Nature. You'll be surprised they get fertilized by bird poop. I mean, that's just like using worm tea, you know. Are the orchids you're talking about, are they growing from the ground or are they attached to a tree? No, they're, they're in trees. 
Uh, uh, that's funny because that's what I assumed. But he, Kenny has a very. There's actually a ton of native wild orchids out there. But yeah, there's. I just looked it up. There's a, over a hundred species of orchids native to Florida. And yeah. There's a lot terrestrial. I mentioned I went to Bricker Creek uh, yesterday, and there was a lot of those green. Yeah. Uh, Terrestrial orchids. The only thing about them, they got really small flowers. That's normal. Bigger? No, because (laughs) the native ones aren't. They're not showy and giant and pretty like the ones. There's a few, but the Uh, typical, they're not showy like you see out and you know in the stores. Because people have bred them. Yep, to be big and fancy. Um, But no, that's that's normal. Okay, I I see. Yeah, it's not going to get giant like the the fancy ones you see with all the bright colors. I have to live with what I've got. Yeah, sorry. Appreciate our native plants. (laughs) Exactly, but it's important to keep the species going. Nature, and that's all I appreciate. Exactly, absolutely. But you can just give us some regular fertilizer, just you know, half strength or quarter strength, just dilute it out with some water. Thank you, John. Okay. Okay. Thank you, guys. All right. You're welcome. All right, Michelle. I don't know if uh, this is going to be Carol in Lake Placid. I don't know if she's going to yell at you, but she Uh-oh. wants to talk about papayas. <laughs> I'm sorry, Carol. Hi, Carol. I am never going to yell at her. <laughs> something really important to say, and she needs to hear me. Okay? Uh-oh. Anyway, when I heard you say about papayas, you didn't like them. <laughs> I, My neighbor is from another country, and she offered me a papaya, and I said, well, they're not ripe. She says, oh, no. We eat them green. Oh, I like green papaya. I've had green papaya salad. That one's okay. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, yeah. That's my exception. Sorry. I should have clarified. Okay. Well, before it ripens up, it's green, right? Yes. And hard as a rock. All yeah, right. Thai green papaya salad is amazing when they're really orange. No, no, no. If, I cook them. We cook them. Yes. And it cut them up like potatoes. Yes, that's amazing. I'm okay and with that. Cook them up and cook them with our sweet potato greens. I agree. That one is good. It's the perfect. Uh, but when it's ripe, it's recipe. kind of feet-like. <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, they're kind of funny to look at. <laughs> yeah. It's like, exactly. no, thank you. But you try them because they are good for us, and sometimes we need to try things. We That's like. right. I, I'll try once anything once. Saturday in Highlands County at the Ag Center, we have our big fall um plant sale at the egg center the master gardeners nice and we have everything from soup to nuts there so if anybody's around highlands county sebring please come and help support growing and doing like you're doing and the more people we have do they doing this the happier we all be and there will be world peace oh yes. i didn't mean to say that. <laughs> That's Car- carol what time is the plant sale on saturday I think Starts about nine. I, I don't have my information with me, but you can go online, Master Gardeners, Fall Plant Sale, Sebring, and um, Judy Bentley is the woman that probably has the most information. But I, there's so many people involved. You all know that we don't recognize them, but they're there mm-hmm. doing their thing and being happy and helping the earth. Anyway, thank you for Excellent. what you do, and um, we're gonna. Follow your guidance. WMNF is my radio station, too. I have a bumper sticker and everything. So, Excellent. Keep up the good work. Thank you okay. so much, Kara, for calling. And I do want to remind the listeners that they can go to our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WMNF, and we share lots of events. I need to share Michelle's event, but I shared uh, like four or five of Bricker Creek's event just because I went there and I was excited yeah. about like all of their offerings. So um, just like Carol did, if you guys have an event 
shared with us. And just like uh, Georgia from the Sustainable Living, because we want to promote our uh, sustainable-minded individuals, gardening and things like that, and nature-loving. So, um, Michelle, your new garden club, what's it called? Mid-Florida Begonia and Exotic Plant Club. And do you have a Facebook page or where do people go to find out about this club? Yes, we've got the Facebook page. I'm still working on setting up Instagram and an actual, uh, whatchamacallit, website. All right, very good. Now, aside from that, we're going to say this is a family-oriented project-based gardening club, but I know that you teach kids about gardening too. Where do you do that? Uh, I'm sad to say I actually have not. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You're too busy. Not at the moment, um, but I hope to start doing some projects again because I was teaching uh, gardening at Tribe in Seminole Heights, um, but I am not at the moment. All right, so that's, well, that's it. It's still an amazing organization, though, (laughs) because... It's phenomenal what they do at Tribe. Is that a seasonal? Nonprofit. Um, usually or, during or the school year, not during the summer. Uh, but they offer a ton of classes uh, that are one hour each for $5. Uh, and it's phenomenal. It's another great nonprofit. All right. Very good. So let's go back to why people should join gardening clubs. Um, we can build Screech Child nest boxes. Yes. We can Owl make boxes. we can make nonprofit botanical gardens look nicer. And yes. And uh, we can learn from our elders. Can you stop with that. <laughs> hear about that later. <laughs> what what else? Uh, I mean it's just great fun and you learn a lot, friends. I mean it really is, you know, great to learn. In the intro, we mentioned that you were going to talk about like social media gardening clubs. Oh, Annie wanted me to talk about Tampa Gardening Unplugged. But maybe we could also talk about the differences between digital gardening clubs and in-person gardening clubs. That's true. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just it's because it's a wealth of knowledge. Um, Tampa Gardening Unplugged is my Facebook gardening group. Um, I with a couple thousand people on it. Yeah, it's it's smaller. Um, We you have to answer some fun and insane questions. Uh, before you get in, um, like if you're okay, actually, I'm not even going to say Tampa Gardening Unplugged, you just, you must answer the questions upon entering that you're just to make sure we weed out the robots essentially. Um, but we are the fun misfits when it comes to gardening. We are the misfits. <laughs> but yeah, it's a fun time. We have a very lot of knowledgeable people. Um, if you, you can really learn a lot, uh, but if, if you want like a looser, more crazy gardening group where you can misbehave a little and still learn a lot. We are your people. So on, <laughs> on the Facebook page, Tampa Gardening Unplugged, people go there and they say, hey, look this, look at this beautiful plant. Or can you help me grow this? Or yes. I have extra X. Do you want to trade it? Exactly. Trade. You can sell some plants. We don't want crazy sale weasels, um, but you can learn a lot. And we definitely promote more organic methods. Um, but if you need to know how to dispatch a lover or a bufo frog, we are 1,000% okay with that. <laughs> At Burker Creek Preserve, I went inside their visitor center, and they have two taxidermied bufo frogs, marine toads, but they have them mounted on top of each oh, other like they're reproducing. Shut up. And that was so funny oh because, God. you know, they're invasive and they do reproduce quite a bit. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, we'll be talking about that in future episodes. I also saw a... Uh, maybe we'll say a two-foot-long uh, snake shed Ooh. in the wild nice. of uh, Tampa. Did and you la- identify it? We, I didn't identify it, but last 
week we had a USF professor on talking about Tasmanian devils, but also rattlesnakes. And I could have uh, shared that information with them. So okay, I did have rattlesnakes in my mind, so I wanted to... I want to see one in the wild. I've only well, seen the basic boring stuff. At, I want to live on the edge. At the place that I was at, they have eastern diamondback rattlesnakes, but my footsteps were too loud. And um, I learned that their rattles are getting smaller because the ones that had big rattles and made a lot of noise, they were killed by humans. That's awesome. So the ones that had smaller rattles were able to survive. <sighs> And that is the sustainable living show. <laughs> On that note, no, thanks, no, no. Kenny. All right, Michelle, let's, uh, we'll have one more minute. Let's, let's leave them with some positive <laughs> words of encouragement. So for um, gardening in November, uh, it's dry. Any, any tips? Uh, fun fact, the begonia say, I probably botched that, is the fifth largest plant genius um, in, out of all the plant geniuses of flowering plants. Yeah, so there's a wide diversity of begonias. And if you want to get a begonia, you can head over to USF Botanical Gardens. All right, very good. Now, next week, Michelle, we are going to have a couple of people from the Tampa Recycling uh, Solid Waste Department over, and they're going to be talking about how we can be reducing our waste, but also how we can be recycling properly as the holiday season comes up because we don't want to be overwhelming our uh, landfills. Use <laughs> yeah. your words, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> so we gotta, we're excited to have them on. And if you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. And it's not a tip jar anymore. It's a donate button. And uh, stay tuned. In the next hour, you will hear WMNF Community Speaks with Mobili. And like I mentioned, next week, tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. We will be talking with Edgar Castro-Tello about Tampa recycling. And follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WMNF, to stay in the loop. And you can also listen to all of our past shows. Just go to Listen On Demand on WMNF.org. I am Kenny Coogan. And remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. And this is WMNF Tampa. It's all-